February 1st, 1922, William Desmond Taylor, a silent film star and director, suddenly died at only 49 years old. It would be another 12 hours until police were notified. Rumors circulated that after his death, bosses from Paramount and others from the upper echelon of Hollywood were at William's house when the police arrived. What were they doing? Were they trying to check in on their business partner and friend? Were they trying to understand what happened? If you guessed burning papers in the fireplace, you would be correct. Today, we're going to dig into the life of William Desmond Taylor, the scandals he was involved with, and ask ourselves, who killed William? Hi, everyone. Thanks for stopping by our table of disappointment. This is How They Got Away, the show where we discuss the unsatisfying endings to your favorite unsolved or unpunished true crime and corporate greed stories. It's just the two of us today, so I'm here with my co-host. It's just me, Kelsey. <laughs> just the two of us. <laughs> just the two of us. <laughs> We're trying to be vaguely this... musical, but not like copyright musical. <laughs> uh, this is a, any references to any real or imagined music is complete coincidence. Like with, at the end of movies where it's like any resemblance to real people is pure coincidence. And like in your head, you're like, I know that they are throwing shade at someone in this. It was me, though. Th at this point, you're going to realize just how much will uh, Stephanie and Anna keep us on track because we are just going to go off the rails, unsupervised <laughs> and alone. For sure. When you, for sure. When you were like, I'm going to do the William Desmond Taylor case, my brain did not immediately remember what the case was. Now I feel like I kind of remember. But I'm, I'm very excited because it's been a while since I've listened or heard anything about this case. So I'm very excited. I'm very excited and there's so much stuff that you can get into with this case like so many authors have done interpretations so much gossip and newspaper articles and it's there's a lot of details and some of them you're like i'm not even sure that this is actually accurate anymore or if it's just like a tangent that someone went on it's wild but before i That's get what... too oh sorry I just want to say before I get too far into this case, I do want to shout out this guy, Bruce Long, and his whole terrorology issues. He had this whole collection that he created of like all the police files, newspaper clippings, and other resources related to the case. And he published these issues of terrorology, which he would go through the evidence with. And he's on issue 100. This man is committed, but it was a huge help for this case. I thought you were trying to say like, trilogy but not three no. like another number and i was like what the hell is a taylorology how many books is that <laughs> apparently over a hundred is what a taylorology is and they were like their issues were like articles like two-page articles basically um but taylorology hence william desmond taylor taylorology i love that some people are full name people full government name people like I'm Kelsey. Do not call me by my first name. How dare you if you pull my middle name into it? But William Desmond Taylor is a William Desmond Taylor. Kind of like how Dwayne the Rock Johnson is Dwayne the Rock Johnson. He is not That's just true. Dwayne and he is not Mr. Johnson. Apparently his friends though called him Bill. <laughs> Bill? I am going to, and you're going to find this out as soon as I start speaking this next sentence, when I get into William, um, 
I'm going to call him William. A lot of articles will call him Taylor. His original name was not, Taylor was not his original last name. So just to avoid confusion, I'm just going to call him William. And I'm going to call most people by their first name. I think it's so funny when people just change their last name because I'm like, that's your last name. That's the one you get and that's it. But then I'm like, oh no, people like change their last name all the time. Like when you get <laughs> married or just because you want to. How do you go about picking a last name when you, like if you get married, obviously you might take your spouse's last name. But if you're just like, I don't like this last name, I'm going to put on a new one. That's so much pressure. It's also like a very old Hollywood thing to do though. I think people also do it today, but. True. Before we get too far into it, this is who we're talking about. This is the guy. So I'm showing up the picture of William Desmond Taylor. It's kind of like, it, it, it has that old yellow tint of pictures. He's wearing a very smart suit looking off screen. I am disquieted by the fact that he and my great-grandfather have the same hairstyle. Like, do you ever see a picture of like an old, old relative and you're like, yeah, that's an old timey photo with old timey like fashion. That's the same exact hairstyle. You know, I think it's a, it's a slicked back hairstyle. I feel like that's very popular in 1920s. Also, but with like that side part, that's all the way almost to the end of True. your crown. Like that is such a dramatic True. part. And it looks good. He's got that very like rectangle face. Mm -hmm. He looks very, he looks like he would be an actor, very sharp face. He looks clean cut in this photo. Yeah, he's got sharp. that little pocket square. Yeah, and his tie's kind of fun. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> so who was William Desmond Taylor? So his actual name, William Cunningham Dean Tanner, was born in Carlow, Ireland on April 26, 1872 into a family of seven with four other siblings. I love that his name kind of has the same initials. Like he kept mostly the same initials, but he was like, Cunningham? No, <laughs> I'm getting rid of that. You know, a vibe. it's like close enough that if someone said it like across the room, your ear would still peer, like perk up a bit. Like, if I changed my name from Annalise to Elise, like, my ear would still, like, perk up at that. I would still, like, recognize. When we did our chemistry unit in high school science, I would always whip my head around whenever the teacher said calcium because it was just close enough that I'd be like, me? And it's like, no, me? calcium. <laughs> anyway, so at only 18 years old, he moved to the United States to work at a dude ranch in Kansas. And I cannot get over... The, like it's just a ranch full of dudes. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, like supposed to be like a touristy type of ranch. Like, does the dude come in because it's just a bunch of dudes running it? It's just free range dude, man. Someone's got to raise them. They're okay. Anyways, anyways. <laughs> William had had some experience in acting in school, and now at the Dude Ranch, he was also kind of playing up a character when he was like doing tours, being a, just doing all this touristy stuff. Theater Eventually, kid, got it. yeah, 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 theater kid for sure. Eventually, in 1901, William moved to New York City. 
This is where he New met York. and later married Ethel May Hamilton on December 7th of that year. Ethel was Probably also, not, but any relation to the Hamilton Hamiltons? I don't think so. Ethel was also in acting. She was an actress who appeared oh, in a musical entire... I don't Tell think me. so. Tell me their love story. But I think story, they were in the same circles. But she had appeared okay. in a musical entitled um, Florodora. And her father would later employ William at his antique shop. Cute. So around 1902-1903, they had a daughter named Ethel Daisy, who I can only assume was named after her mother. Now, this sounds like a That's really cute. cute story so far. Right? Super uh, cute. We can't just stop right here. We can't just no. have, like, a cute family who acts and you know, works at the antique shop during the day and then goes just acting in musicals with her little daughter, Ethel Daisy. No, she's shaking her head no. No. It was well known that William was a heavy drinker at this time. And some speculate no. that he drank to escape depression. And he also had multiple affairs. William, how could you do this to Ethel? On October 23rd, 1908, he disappeared. So we know that he kind of just skipped out. Like he just left to go pursue a career in acting, I guess. But like, this is like back in the, back these days, people just like vanished sometimes. Like that just happened. That's, yeah. I mean, people still do go missing today all the time, but like, what, do you just, just kind of leave town and you're gone. You're gone. Yeah. He just up and deserted his family. No warning. Ethel How had dare you. no clue what happened. How dare you, William? In 1912, she got a decree of divorce, got full custody of their daughter, and later remarried. It wasn't around... It wasn't until around 1919 that Ethel would even discover that her first husband was, in fact, not dead when she and her daughter saw him in a film. Can you imagine? Back then, like, going to films was somewhat of an event, right? Like, that's mm -hmm. not like a, and eh, we've got nothing else to do on Friday. Let's go to a film. It's, let's get dressed up and go to the films. And you, it's been like 10 years. You've been raising your daughter. You know, maybe there was a couple of bumps there when your husband vanished, but who knows where he went. Dead or alive, who knows? And you go to the movies, and you're having a nice time, and who walks on the screen? William. I feel like it's especially like a slap in the face when you know that she was an actress as well. I feel like that's just like says something about like, I skipped town and left our family so that I could pursue my dreams even though you had the same dreams and now cannot pursue those dreams because I left you with our daughter. That's just mean. That's yeah. That's low, William. But I, I do want to put in a note here that um, after this, his daughter sent a letter to the production company and it got to her father and she and him kind of started up regular correspondence and they kind of started to rebuild the relationship. He, at that point in his life was, he really wanted to kind of 
it sounds like he wanted to kind of repair that relationship and make amends. Um, and I think he also left some things to her in his will after he passed. Um, but this isn't the time period that we're really looking at. So just to get back into the flow, moving beyond that. We're not even at the actual event yet. No, no. <laughs> so after his disappearance, air quotes, um, William wandered from Canada to Alaska or and into um, northwest of the U.S., mining and doing theater performances, working with different acting troops. During this time, he would change his name to something a little snappier, William Desmond Taylor. And in 1912, he finally landed in San Francisco, where a couple of buddies from New York gave him some money to start his career in the City of Angels, Los Angeles. Did these buddies not be like, hey, William, where's Ethel? No questions were asked? Apparently not. So now this is where we get into William's acting career. His earliest screen performance was in The Counterfeiter. He would work for Vitagraph Studios after that. And I do want to take a kind of bit of a segue to talk about the studio system in Hollywood at this time. So studios would just about own their actors. The only times actors would quote unquote be loaned out to other studios for films was often used as a punishment for angering their studio. Actors were salaried employees and were put on projects as studios see fit. Uh, Clark Gable, aka the King of Hollywood, said in 1932, I have never been consulted as to what part I would like to play. I am not paid to think. So this restrictive model led to countless cases of abuses that you hear a lot about when talking about classic Hollywood. Needless to say, studios had a lot of control during this time. It's interesting to think about how the Hollywood system kind of works today with movies with the kind of agent or manager system when it comes to actors and how like this system of basically abuse, this system that was set up to abuse their actors probably resulted in the more managerial agent for specific actors system that we have today i don't know enough about hollywood to know if that's like a great system but it's mm -hmm. definitely better than uh i've i don't know if you're gonna get into it but they're like those contracts you've heard about of actresses who have to stay within like a very narrow weight range to keep yeah. their job so we're not going to talk about that so much with this case but definitely there's so many like we hear a lot about actresses. We hear about them the most when it comes to these kind of models because you hear about them being taken advantage of by disgusting men of the system. Because misogyny. Um, yeah. <laughs> you hear more about the women than you do about the men in this case because it's, it's especially a vulnerable time for women. But that's the system we're working with right now. And this is how it's within the system that this takes place. So... Back to William. At this time, he acted with um, Margaret Gibby Gibson, who will come up later in the story, as well as started working for Balboa Amusement Producing Company. Through this company, he would later meet uh, a, someone who would be his fiance for a short time, uh, Neva Gerber. They, I think the relationship, they never got married. It sounded like it ended fairly quickly after they got engaged. 
I know that people got engaged a lot more quickly than we really do now on average. Like usually there's a few years of relationship and then the engagement. But like, I don't know. Engagement is so serious. You're like not sure about it. And then like six months or whatever later, you're like, actually, no. It's just so serious. It is kind of interesting how these relationships like flit in and out so fast, especially within this kind of group. That makes me also wonder if like it wasn't even a real engagement, if it was like, I don't know how big the like Hollywood drama section was Mm -hmm. at this time. Probably not nearly as big as it is today, but that like, oh, we're engaged because that like causes people to talk and drives up movie ticket sales because people want to see the movie but we're not actually going to be engaged we're just doing it for the movie. i wonder if like that was a thing back then mm, i wonder that too but i also feel like a lot of times at this point in hollywood relationships were discouraged because they wanted single women to be True. in these parts because you know men can maybe she chose her career woman then that's very like how the K-pop industry is today. Yes. Yeah. Time is a flat circle. <laughs> time is happening all at once, all the time. This is how it works. So William directed his first film in 1914, and it was entitled The Judge's Wife. For the next few years, he would continue acting and directing for multiple different companies. I do want to put a side note here. You know how we were talking about how trashy it was for him to leave his wife? Um, Yeah, it was trashy. Yeah, in 1915, William's sister-in-law reached out who, you know, guess what, was abandoned by her husband, William's brother, in 1912. Well, oh, okay, okay. So I thought thought we were talking about Ethel's sister. And then I was like, damn, both of these girls William's brother. Abandoned his family. In the family. Oh my it god. The family. What are these men? What are these men drinking? What gives them the audacity? It's the audacity of the 1920s. And when you think about it, that's like, it's not like as cruel as it would be today to just up and leave your partner without a word. That's really cruel to do but back in these days like the opportunities for women to earn a living independent of a man were way not great so like you're also kind of condemning them unless they have a family support system that is able to support them fully you're kind of abandoning them to destitution a lot of cases i do also wonder though sometimes if this was like because divorces were hard to get back then, mm. harder, much harder than it is than it is today. It was like something that you have to go to the judge, and you, there has to be like a party at fault. And even then, it's the judge's Reagan's choice whether or not you can separate. one good contribution to this country. <laughs> so I really no do kind of wonder if, if this is also partially like they wouldn't have been able to get a divorce, and if that was the case, because he was having multiple affairs and all that stuff, and he didn't want that to follow him. I do wonder. If the reason we saw more men just kind of walking out or we heard tale of more men just deserting their lives and walking out it was partially because divorces were hard to get. True. And there, there's definitely, there was a lot of more social stigma around divorce then than there is now. Yeah. So I think you're right. Like there's that, like, I don't want that following me. 
But also up and leaving was so much easier. It's also like, shitty. Could just be gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it's bad no matter what, but I do wonder if that was also part of just society at the time. Anyway. In... 1915, William joined Palace Pictures, a subsidiary of famous players Latsky, which would later become Paramount Pictures. The big kahuna. The big fish. Big fish. Um, he would stay with this company for the rest of his career. In 1917, William acted in A Tale of Two Cities, where due to his knowledge of literature, he became close to the director, which helped his career progress and he became a leading director in many films. And this is kind of where his fame really started to grow. He started earning a lot of money, and that's when a lot of women also started to flock to him. I always find these weird in old Hollywood cases where you hear of actors, male actors, because, because yeah, becoming directors as well as actors, and I feel like that, that doesn't really happen as much today. Because I'll, I'm also like, yeah, you know how to act, but that doesn't mean you know how to, like, move everybody around. That's Those seem you like very that, two different jobs. but I feel like jobs. a lot of actors are also directors. Are they? Do I just not know enough about Hollywood at all? I mean, off the top of my head, uh, Millie Bobby Brown, Drew Barrymore, I think Selena Gomez? I'm not positive. I shouldn't have said anything because I only know one of those people. So I saw a picture i saw the like trailer for renfield and then nick cage because it's important you know nick cage is in that movie appeared on screen and i was like liam neeson not liam neeson <laughs> anyway um so maybe i just don't know what i'm talking about a lot of them do ended up having a hand in directing something I don't know if it was more popular back then. There was also a smaller pool back then, I think. That's true. Anyway. In July 1918, William enlisted in the Canadian ex... Oh my god, expend... I can't say this word. Ex expedition? Expensive? Yeah. What, what word is this? Expeditionary. I just can't speak. <laughs> I can't just okay. Speak. I have a hard time. There's another word that's going to catch me. I know it's going to catch me because it caught me earlier when I was trying to read and I just couldn't. It'll be a treat for later. Anyway, <laughs> in July 1918, William entered the Canadian Expeditionary Force at the start of World War One, but the war ended up ending before he was even sent over to France. He like got there and the war was done. Um, so he nice. was discharged the next year. There's not really too much to say in there. I wonder if that was like a fancy thing they did, like the production company to kind of avoid him going to combat, like had it like maybe they pulled strings to have him go there and just kind of stalled. Or maybe he just lucked out. Maybe. I have no idea. Could you imagine you're in war? You're in the trenches. It's not great. And then you look over and it's Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> I do have to say, he was also, um, what, what would he have been at this point? Like, 45? Well, that's, like, on the older spectrum. Doesn't the draft only go 18 to 25? He enlisted. I don't think he was drafted. Oh. 
maybe it was a PR stunt then, because if you enlist that late in the war, maybe you're like banking on not. I have no idea. It also kind of sounds like he may have became a better person <laughs> as he aged. I mean, we're, we're, we're judging his whole personality based off deserting his wife, which, you know, that's a big thing. But I also think a lot to move past it's a lot to move past but people are complex so i also wonder if maybe he he changed a bit while he was growing older it's it's a weird time so i cannot tell you whether or not he it was a pr set he enlisted out of his own sense of duty or what that was yeah i mean we looking at this in like a quick timeline but like these there were decades between that and this so there's like a lot of life that happens there but also to go back to it being a PR stunt, like you were saying earlier that the uh, production people kind of owned their actors at this point. So like, I don't think they would take very kindly to an actor just being like, I'm going to go enlist without like any, true any say from the company. Who knows? True. Um, I did want to list some of the notable movies that he directed. He directed both Tom Sawyer in 1917 and Huckleberry Finn in 1920. The American Beauty in 1916, Anne of Green Gables in 1990, and numerous others. Um, He directed a lot. He's credited for directing like 59 films in total, Um, but it was very hit or miss whether or not they were well-received or not. Hmm. It's kind of one of those things like you shoot so many shots, some of them are going to miss. Hard to say from that if it was the directing that like... Or made it controversial or whatever or people weren't into the stories yeah yeah um he was also president of the motion pictures directors association for three terms so he was definitely like a pretty big shot in hollywood very well known um and he lived in in this area that was known for having a lot of actors and actresses like he was within that kind of upper echelon The Beverly Hills of the time, if you will. Kinda, yeah. So, now we arrive on that fateful day. February 1st, 1922, is when this Hollywood star would suddenly die at 49 in his home at El Barado Court Apartments in Westlake, LA. William's neighbors, Faith and Douglas McLean, claimed to have heard a loud noise after dinner around 8 p.m. and they thought it was like a car backfire because you know your your brain kind of tries to to it would be more logical like why would someone be getting shot yeah later when they learned of his death they they assumed then that that was the gunshot can you imagine hearing that later and you're like oh no yeah oh no Faith also recalls seeing a person leave William's house, essentially dressed as like a caricature of what a burglar would look like, and then running back in, like they forgot something, and then coming back out and like looking her in the eye from like where she was looking, and it kind of freaked her out. Um, She didn't really think anything of it. Um, I think she just thought like, oh, that was someone walking in and out. They just like saw me, but afterwards that definitely freaked her out. One fan, like one neighbor being like, oh, it's a car backfiring. There's no way that's a gunshot. I understand. But then also another neighbor basically being like, 
that person looks like the epitome of a robber and making eye contact with them, but then then later not doing anything about it, like not being like this is eh. the same neighbor. It's the same neighbor. <laughs> yeah, her and her husband. They both heard the noise. And then so she wait, did she person. see the guy after or before yeah, the gunshot? They- they heard the backfire. I assume she kind of like looked out the window to kind of see what was going on. This guy comes running out. She's like, oh my God, what is the person doing? Ran back in and then came back out and like smiled at her. And she was like, oh, okay. And they knew William Desmond Taylor, right? Like not, maybe they weren't close, but they were aware of who lived in that house, right? Yeah, yeah. So car backfiring, understandable rationalization. Guy who looks like robber and is most definitely not your neighbor <laughs> walks back into the house and then leaves and you don't like as a quick like, hey police, it could be nothing. But there's like the, this guy who's in a robber mask, like the exact picture robber, that's this guy, that's what you need for your police sketch. Maybe check it out. None of that was had no. just kind of like a that was weird back to our game of part cheesy because it's 1922 faith when she describes this person says that they kind of looked funny almost like it was a woman disguising themselves as a man and none of that none of that made you think hmm something weird's going on there no. I mean, I guess it's Hollywood, so you're like, people are up to some weird shit around here. You just, I, I do not see it, but what the hell? I don't know. I could not find, I found um her husband's, like, statements to the police, and I couldn't find anything that was, like, primary source for her, so I really could not tell you her exact thoughts. Um, But anyway, another person, Howard Fellow, William's chauffeur, had come by that night at 8.15. So after everything had occurred, he was parking William's car and was going to go drop off the keys. He had even like called before he had started to drive over to try and like say, you know, like I'm coming by. There there wasn't an answer. He kind of just went anyway, kind of assuming he might have been doing something else or he might not have been home. Um, After knocking and ringing on the doorbell for a few minutes, he didn't receive any answer. He thought it was a bit odd because the lights were on inside the house. So he assumed that he was home, but he ended up leaving without going inside. I mean, I'm trying to decide if that's, like, negligent on his part or not. I'm going to say no, because, like, you work for this really rich guy. You don't really want to, like, get on their bad side. Yeah. And also, like, he could just, like, be in the shower or something. But also, it's, like, 1922. It's not like you can text anybody. He knew he was coming. And it's also, I think this was one of the... I can't remember, people talk about this, like, it was one of the first big, like, movie star deaths to happen. So maybe people weren't automatically thinking that someone could have gone and shot them. But either way, it's odd. I understand the, like, if I were, I'm in my neighborhood, I think my neighborhood's generally pretty safe. I hear a sound that's a gunshot, but I rationalize it into thinking it's a car backfiring. I understand that. But then also, like, even the, the chauffeur is, like, he could be injured in his house. Like people who live, like I live alone and I I put away dishes and I look down at a knife and I'm like, if I fell on this, like 
no one's coming and this is it for me yeah bestie yeah so and he was i don't know alone at that point at, at night but he also he has like a valet and maid like there's people that come around so maybe it was also one of those things where i mean it also could have been that the chauffeur just thought oh maybe he has someone over right now so i i should like entertaining them. He's entertaining. He's being a if host. there's a sock on the door. That's true. Like, I guess I didn't think about the fact that he would have had servants who just exist in the home as well. Yeah, yeah. And they're not, they weren't there during that time. It sounds like they came during the day, but I don't know. There's a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of rationalization that you could do as to why this man isn't answering his door and there's a light on. Yeah, that alone is not necessarily like you know, something horrible has happened. Yeah. I, I am suspicious of the neighbors who made eye contact with a guy who looked, a guy or a gal who looked like a robber and were like, that's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so, as I mentioned before, the police weren't notified until 12 hours after his death, which brings us to like 7.30 a.m. on February 2nd, which is when was, Henry P.B., uh, Sorry, I was going to ask what made them, but I think you're about to okay. tell me. Yeah. Um, which is when Henry Peavy, his like valet, personal secretary, he had many hats at the time. Um, he was the one to find him. Oh. He was the suspect at first, but was pretty quickly ruled out. Um, the butler did a so, stereotype. Yeah, I think also, one, he's the first person to find him. Yeah. Two, Henry P.B. was a black man. Hmm. That's all I have to say on that. Yeah. A groan of disgust. Yeah. And, yeah, and this time, there was some heavy racism. Some of the ways, it's like when other people are being interviewed and are asked about him, they refer to him in like some weird ways that I will not repeat because it is not acceptable. It's like, goddamn, this man's just earning a living being a personal secretary like i understand the first person who's who reports the body who sees the body that person's going to be suspect for a little while yeah. it's that's kind of due pro due process for the police investigation but like oh god of course yeah. he's there he, he works there yeah i guess he also had some kind of criminal record there's some things but he was pretty quickly ruled out so i'm not even going to talk to him about him when we talk about suspects um, there's a couple of weird and kind of scandalous things that come out of this case, and of course, there's a few that happened this morning. For one, um, after Henry PV had like called the police, like all these people started coming out, a huge crowd started to form, and it was like all these like actors and actresses that lived in the area. There was some definitely execs that also just lived in the area but might have been called in. Like it was like a whole scene. <laughs> What did he do? From like, did he did he open the door and just shout murder? Like, how did all these people know this was happening? Um, I I imagine that Henry PV may have called the police and then called like everyone else that was involved with him. I'm gonna say it later, but um, like the assistant director that he works with um ended up calling and talking to a lot of people. It was like a huge game of telephone, and as soon as one person heard, everyone heard. I mean, I'm not going to say I know what to do when finding a dead body outside of calling 911, but I don't think I would start alerting family members immediately. He, for one, so weird and scandalous things. 
for one. His crowd had assembled, and a man emerged, claiming to be a doctor, and was going to go examine William. He went. He took a quick look, and he said that this man had died of a stomach hemorrhage, which is not true at all. I'm he was remembering this shot case now. <laughs> yeah, he was actually shot in the back. Um, not at all. So this strange doctor declared this and then left and was never seen again. Did dude even call time of death? No. He just went in there, looked down, went, that's a stomach hemorrhage, and then left. I've seen it a million times, these damn stomach hemorrhages that <laughs> cause a hole in the back. <laughs> Makes sense. So two, there was gossip circulating that Paramount higher-ups were at the scene burning papers. Allegedly, to cover up something happening with other actors, we're going to talk about um, some of the other suspects, and we'll get into that a little bit about what studio might want to be covering up. But um, allegedly, there are Paramount executives there burning So there's stuff. a crowd outside of mostly yes. actors and director types. Assumably, somebody saw some executives go in the house. And then it spreads throughout the group. And then somebody else is like, oh, I looked through the window and I saw them burning papers. And then everybody in the crowd goes, oh, that's so weird. And nobody does anything <laughs> to secure the scene. Nobody's no. like, hey, maybe they shouldn't be doing that. No. I don't know. I mean, like, there's definitely a lot of bystander syndrome happening with that. And yeah. also it's a rumor. So, I, you know, you don't want to burst into a crime scene on a rumor. Mm -hmm. securing a crime scene who is she so robert Giro, the author of a deed of death which is a book about the case um said and i quote the studio seemed to be fearful that certain that if certain aspects of the case were exposed it would exacerbate their problems end quote um there's there's a bunch of different things we're gonna get into, including scandalous love affairs, possible drug use, all this kind of stuff. Things that in general wouldn't look good if it came out as someone kind of well known and high up within a studio was involved in. I think the fact that this is one of the first major Hollywood deaths as well kind of plays into that because like you've mm -hmm. Nowadays, if you told me an actor died, that'd be terrible. But then, like, all this stuff comes out about clandestine affairs and drug use, I'd be like, and? Like, it's very par for the course now, but at the time, like, there's not, you know, there's no precedent for, like, what comes out when an actor dies, so they don't want to ruin this image of how actors live. So I get that. I mean, I wouldn't destroy evidence over it, but I'm also not a <laughs> producer executive. So there is a police interview with the general manager of Paramount at this time, Charles Eaton, who was one of the first people to arrive at the scene after William's body was discovered. He had been told by the assistant director that we talked about before, um, Bellow, um, that it was a stomach hemorrhage based on a, the doctor's misdiagnosis, and he arrived at the scene to see what was going on. Um, he says that he didn't go through the house. Um, some believe that to be a lie. <laughs> It's like, who do you believe? There are a lot, there's a lot of gossip and rumors. So it's really hard to say this definitively was what happened and this definitely did not, but. 
Yeah. And it's definitely like I kind of we we just covered the Rose Harsent case and I kind of get frustrated with the older cases because I'm like, if we just had some forensic evidence, if we had any of our forensic science methods, we would know. But we don't. So third, William's true identity became revealed to the public. Prior to this, they had no idea that he was William Cunningham, um, Dean Tanner. Um, so when this came out, it was a shock to the public, especially when his former wife was then interviewed by the New York Times in a newspaper article entitled, Slain Movie Man Had Career Here, Deserted His Wife. <laughs> wow. What do you even say in that interview? Shh. Hello, ma'am. Your husband who abandoned you 20 years ago died. What do you have to say about that? She seemed incredibly chill from like, the, it, it like wasn't him. Like she's like, yeah, he deserted me. That sucked. Um, but he, she's like, but I also got remarried and he started talking to my daughter through these letters. It seems like she had kind of was forgiven, live and let live. It was like over it at that point. It had been over, well over 10 years. It had been 20 years. Like close to twenty years of that. When did he leave her? Um, I think it was nineteen oh eight. Oh, it was, I was still in nineteen oh two land. That's when his daughter was born. Yeah, I mean, you've got to like, right? That's where it, that's what it was. You gotta, you can't just hold on to that forever. Yeah. You know, she remarried. She clearly had moved on. I mean, if he had died like two years after he'd abandoned her, I wonder if that interview would have been a little bit different. Yeah. But, you know, you grow and like she wants her daughter to have this a relationship with her father, even if she doesn't want to have a relationship with him. Very. What a good mom. For sure. So let's back up a little bit and talk about kind of the state of the crime scene and what was going on. William's body was found lying in front of his desk with his feet closest to the desk, almost like he was kind of like maybe stood in front of it or facing it and then kind of fell back. Um, it was determined that mm. he was shot from only a few inches away. I did Damn. see somewhere that there was an overturned chair that might have indicated a brief struggle, but it also, that detail gets lost in a lot of articles, so I really don't know for sure. There's some reports. It could have also gotten knocked over when he fell back or something. If he was at his desk, the chair was probably close. So there were some reports that he had his like hands raised when he was shot based on like the hole in his suit jacket. Um, some speculate that he may have been like embracing his killer, whether that was a, like trying to get this person like off of me or if that is a like the person went in for a hug because they were familiar and this was like a, a gesture and then shot him in the back. You can only tell so much from jackets. Yeah. So when William was found, he had his wallet containing a hefty sum of money for the time, which is $78, which would have been like $1,260 in today's cash. This man was just carrying that around. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I feel uncomfortable carrying more than $50 in cash. A cigarette case was also found on him with a pocket watch, a pen knife, which sounds really cool, a two-carat 
diamond ring on his finger. And oh. most interestingly, a locket with a photo of Mabel Normand in it, engraved with, to my dearest. So Mabel Normand was a famous actress at this time and someone we're going to get more into in a little bit. Ooh. William obviously had a lot of valuable items on him that were left on his body, meaning this probably isn't a robbery gone wrong. Yeah, and the house would probably be more ransacked if it was a robbery, unless they come into the house thinking he wasn't home and he was and then the plan changed but you're right they would have grabbed at least something yeah. I, th I would think I, I would think so as well so if money wasn't the motive what was now before we get too far into this and into the suspects I do want to put out there there's a lack of evidence for all of these due to obviously bad crime scene management, as well as some corruption. A lot of physical evidence was... Some good old-fashioned corruption. Sure. A lot of physical evidence was quote-unquote lost almost immediately. And the rest... I just don't know where it went. I don't know where it went. And it's just gone. What do you mean I have an extra $20 in my pocket? No, I don't. And the rest kind of slowly disappeared over time. And since this case is... I mean, it's been 100 years that happens. Yeah. And since this case is so old, it has been subject to a lot of gossip. So some details and facts of the case are hard to confirm. Like I said before. So that being said, let's get into the suspects a little bit. Edward Sands was William's valet seven months prior to his murder. While in Europe, Sands um, wrecked William's car, forged his name on checks, and stole a number of William's valuables before taking off. That's pretty bad. Pretty bad. That's, that's not good. Police called him a prime suspect at the time of the murder, believing that Edward Sands uh, had come back to blackmail William for more money, and what he didn't, Get what he wanted he murdered William despite a nationwide manhunt Sands was never arrested in fact Sands seemingly disappeared after the murder and was never seen from again okay gone but we was we were talking earlier how easy it is for people to just vanish at this That's time true. yeah move like three states away and change your name yeah, just change your name a little bit and be like, just like growing a mustache. Different guy. Different guy. As mentioned before, a number of valuable items were found on William's body and in his house after his death. So if Sans had really come back for money, he probably would have taken this stuff. It doesn't really line up for me. I think that goes... Yeah, that goes back to the, re the same reasoning it not being likely to be a robbery. The, if money were a mo it's money as a motive in any sense doesn't really make sense here and also i don't like if you forge checks and you know maybe key your boss's car when he's out of the country like that's one thing i could see somebody who was committing fraud getting pushed into a corner and murdering somebody to like keep it under wraps but he'd clearly already been caught doing that 
it's like he, that seems like too much of like a cowardly crime profile to really lead to black Marilyn murder for mm-hmm. me. Plus, I don't like if I did that, I was not like a good employee and I keyed the boss's car and like forged checks. I, I'm not sure I would think that going back to blackmail him, unless I had something like real good, would probably not go well for me. Yeah. But maybe that's in a testament to what he thought he would have had or what people think he might have had based on what we know about William Desmond Taylor now. He would have grabbed the wallet, though. That, like, there's no way that guy's not grabbing the wallet. I mean, wallet. like, slipping that two-carat diamond ring off his finger. That's, like, that's such an easy thing to just grab, even if, like, you panic and the situation goes wrong. Yeah. Either way, moving on to the next suspect, Mabel Normand. I do want to show a picture of her just to get an idea of who we're talking about. So this is a picture of her, um, black and white. She's wearing a pearl necklace, looking off from the screen. She has those classically thin eyebrows. Is it lowbrow to say she's too good for him and out of his league? <laughs> Damn. Like, he's not a bad-looking guy, but she's clearly way younger than him. I That's mean, true. he's got money, but, like... That's true. She was 29, That's all I I'm think, say on at that. the time of his death, and he was 49, so, like, a 20-year age difference. So, Mabel was an actress and was considered one of the best comedians during the silent film era of Hollywood. And that's saying something, considering that she is a woman. I was going to say, I saw your notes that said comedian. And there's something very feminist, I think, about women comedians. There's, like, just something about it. Because, that, like, that's a very common misogynistic rhetoric <laughs> of, like, women aren't funny. So... Get it, Queen. She starred in hundreds of films and even directed several. She acted opposite of stars like Charlie Chaplin and Fatty Arbuckle. And Fatty Arbuckle has his own shit that we are not going to get into today. But if you're wondering, he is not a great character. And this is super random. But apparently in 1913, she was the first film star to throw a pie in someone's face. So she was 29, at the time of in this. In 1922. In 1922. So she would have been like nine, just 19 or 18, 19 at yeah, that very point. very young. For the pie thing. So early in her career. Yeah, and that's a well-known gag. So it's pretty incredible. It is. I was just thinking you were saying she's a great comedian for a silent film area. And like, you, like there's so much you have to do to make something that's no words mm-hmm. funny. Like physical comedy. And slapstick stuff. Get it, queen. Get that bag. In 1920- She doesn't get credit for the pie thing, though. No way. In 1920, she was released from her company, Goldwyn Film Company, after her addiction to cocaine and alcohol started to make her unreliable to work with. Oh, no. Yeah. Mabel was close friends with William, and supposedly William had romantic interests in Mabel. And again, she was the photo in the locket. Her relapses in addiction were really hard for him as someone who cared for her, even if it wasn't in a romantic light, they were close friends. So no matter what, her addiction would have been hard. Mm-hmm. Um, according to Henry PV, again, the ballet, um, Mabel had said that 
her and William were going to get married, and he claimed that he knew William was, quote, crazy in love with Miss Normand. Um, this being said, Mabel did heavily deny that their relationship was anything but friendship. Um, she said that, quote, it was based on comradeship and understanding. I mean, both can be true, sort of. Like, he could have had feelings for yeah. her, and she didn't, and they just had, like, a friendship. Yeah, but Henry made that comment about her saying that she was going to get married to William, which kind of feels weird. True, but, like, the, out of context, yeah. who knows what it was actually said. Yeah, who knows. So Mabel ended up being the last known person to see William alive. She arrived at his home at 7.05 p.m. that night and was seen walking out of his house back to her car at 7.45 p.m., only five minutes before his estimated time of death. That's not good. That doesn't look good for her. She had come to borrow two books, and they were, at, they were seen kind of parting ways and blowing kisses at each other. Um, but people were still a little bit suspicious. Um, during her interrogation, she stated that William was supposed to call her at 9 p.m. that night, and she had waited over 30 minutes for his call, and it just never came. So, of course, being the last person to see William, she was a suspect. Along with gossip about paranormal personnel burning papers, there was also a rumor that Mabel was searching the bungalow for letters that she had wrote to William. However, a book by Kirkpatrick, Witten, and Long kind of debunked this myth. She also talked about the letters when being interrogated um, and how they had gone missing. So it sounds like, it doesn't sound like she ran in to like get those letters if she like immediately blurbed about them to the police. These that letters were more known- like somebody else got rid of the letters and like no one yeah. could figure out exactly who it was. They're like, there's a woman grabbing papers. <laughs> Um, these letters were known as the Blessed Baby Letters because that's what he called her. Many wow. of those interviewed by police, including Charles Eaton, were asked about the missing letters, um, but they denied knowing their existence. Well, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mabel was heavily interrogated by the LAPD, and then she was ruled out as a suspect. Um, her house was even searched, and they did find two guns, but neither matched the murder weapon. Yeah, when you said she had been there like five minutes before his estimated time of death, I was saying I was thinking to myself, yeah, that's not good. And then also, like, drug addiction can make people do really questionable things, but also, like, just because she's a drug addict is not like a good motive yeah. for murder. I'm feeling maybe no on her. Yeah. And she had been seen inconsolably sobbing at William's funeral. So I I am here for platonic love, <laughs> but I'm starting to doubt that with these two. <laughs> so I, I just don't really think um that 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 she's the person that did this. Uh, the only theory that I can see um, that has her involvement that would at all make sense, even the littlest bit, is a theory from Giro who theorized that William had met with some federal prosecutors to testify against 
um, Mabel's cocaine supplier. And then there was a contract killer that got hired to kind of take him out so he couldn't testify. Um, apparently, William was very against drugs and in particular cocaine within the whole Hollywood scene. And so he was trying to lessen their hold on Hollywood, um, which could certainly piss people off who are making a lot of money. Definitely. And we talked earlier uh, around the time that he left his wife that he was suffering a lot from alcoholism. It sounds like he had kind of gotten that either he'd gotten that under control or was now mm -hmm. sober. So I mm -hmm. wonder if like his own personal experiences with addiction kind of fueled that. Yeah, I definitely think he had an interesting trajectory in his life. And I, it seems like he did kind of improve on himself and on his life. It sounds like he wasn't heavily drinking anymore. He, yes, he did abandon his wife and kids and that is bad. And we are not denying that that's true, but it sounds like he kind of started to do better, wanted to help other people and, you know, reconnected with his daughter. It's like a whole thing. People he are left in There's a lot 19, of gray. Yeah. He left in 1908, right? How old yeah. is he then? 1908. Oh, God. Do the math, Annalise. Do the math. I'm not going to do the math. I'm going to look up. Let me find his birthday. Because <laughs> I know he, he and Ethel had a Ethel Daisy pretty young. Although I guess not yeah. for the time. He was 36 when he left. Never mind. I was going to say that like, oh, he was like young. But I take that back. No, he wasn't. He was in the film industry for 14 years. Yeah. Which, considering like a career lifespan, that doesn't sound very long. It just goes to show you can switch careers anytime. You can switch lives. <laughs> and still be successful. Leave it's family. Never too late. Anyway, um, Mabel's entanglement with William's death essentially ended her career. Um, sensationalist media coverage led to her films being censored. And then in 1924, her chauffeur shot and killed one of her friends. And once again, she was thrown into the media circus and she just never recovered. What the hell? And like, obviously, we don't know the full truth. It's po It's still possible she was involved. But like, I think the likelihood is that she was not. And you know what? If I have to ask the question, if she were a male actor and comedian for the time, would this have affected her career as badly, as negatively? And I think the answer is no. Yeah. Um, Mabel died on February 23rd, 1930 of tuberculosis at only 36 years old. Damn. She just never caught a break. Poor thing. So the next person I'm going to talk about is Margaret Gibson, who I mentioned earlier, it was one of the first films that um, Taylor had, William Desmond Taylor, had been in. Um, he shared the screen with her. Um, the picture that we are looking at is another black and white picture. She has kind of really kind of loose, raggedy curls on top and then tight ringlets going down. Um, again, those thin eyebrows that were so popular during this time. She's got like that very round kind of pout face going on. Like mm -hmm. there's definitely like there's like a look of very like innocence and youth that they're kind of trying to portray here. I'm not a fan of the hair. I'm going to say it. 
pick a hairstyle. You can't have It both. is a wild look. Like, if there wasn't the ringlets, I'd be kind of down for it. The, the ringlets throw it off. Here's the thing. If it were just the top, like she just had that short, curly top hair, down for it. If you just want to go with, with those very traditional full ringlets, go for it. Pick one. The combination of the two is kind of jarring. But she is a beautiful – like, all these women are very beautiful. She's gorgeous. Oh, and I meant to mention earlier – it's not really important, but Mabel Norman, her popularity, she was like known. Uh, her and Mary Pickford kind of competed to be America's sweetheart. Uh, so very big. Big But anyway, names. Margaret Gibson. So Margaret Gibby Gibson um, had worked alongside William at the start of his career. Um, she does have some criminal history. In 1917, she was tried and acquitted for prostitution and opium dealing charges, which led her to change her name to Margaret Gibson. In 1923, she was jailed for extortion until charges were dropped. And around the time of William's death, she had worked for Paramount, so for the same company um, at that point known as Famous Players Laxey. She was never investigated or came up in connection to William's death at all until 1964. Hmm. On her deathbed, as she was having a heart attack, she screamed out that she killed William Desmond Taylor. Okay. So that's not a good look. There's definitely like a lot happens when you're dying it's possible she was confused, but that's a pretty dramatic deathbed confession. I think at the very least she believes it. And I really could not tell you why she would have killed William. Hmm. I there was no like relationship look, between them. Besides working with each other at the start of his career and both being part of Paramount, I really could not see much connecting these two or a reason why she would have felt the need to kill him or felt slighted by him or anything of that nature. Maybe to kind of go back to the theories we were talking about with, uh, oh my God, what was her name? Mab? Mabel. Mabel, thank you. Uh, with the cocaine thing. I mean, you were saying she had been arrested previously for opium opium dealing? Yeah. Possibly something there, but I also don't know how long ago that was. Yeah, and she was also acquitted of it, so I'm like, I'm not sure. It's a slippery slope. I really don't know. And unfortunately, we really don't have much evidence that connects her to it besides her making this confession. And that, that could mean so many things. I mean, it could mean the obvious that she shot and killed him, or it could mean like she gave him some kind of information and somebody killed him for that or something along mm-hmm. those lines or told somebody else something. Like it's, it seems very direct, but it's also, it could be kind of vague. Yeah, exactly. So the next person I want to talk about is Mary Miles Minter. There's so many M's. In this case, I, would, I hope that when I get to this age, there's not, if I die suddenly, there's not so many people that could have killed me, you know? Like, obviously, a lot of these are kind of tenuous, 
but to like die a horrible murder of a death and then yeah. almost everyone in your life could have been involved that's horrible it is horrible it's, it's wild um so this is mary miles minter the photo that we have is another black and white um she's again looking off screen she's wearing um a white blouse her hair is looking blonde due to the um white that's being shown on her it's very kind of innocent looking i was gonna say she kind of it's giving toddler vibes not in like a she looks like she's young. clearly a woman she looks very young she looks very childlike and that's definitely the intent here and that's probably because she is very young <laughs> true 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 she could just be very young no but like understandable she is very young so oh you didn't get to see her folded hands one second <laughs> this is not at all necessary but she has these little folded hands <laughs> no i feel like that adds to it though because it's like it's this that's white angelic it's kind of blonde it. which is its own white supremacy morality thing but and then she's got her hands folded like she's in prayer like it's definitely part of the composition of the photo to give this illusion or image of innocence and purity yeah and she also got this railing thing it's also feeling a little kind of like juliette <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of anyway, yeah. We're digging deep into this photo. We are we are analyzing the photo. Mary Miles Minter was a child star turned full blown actress who was mentored by William. Mm -hmm. Mary was young at the time of William's death. He was, he was, she was, nineteen, only three years older than his daughter. Would have been. You're about to tell me something about a rumor, and I'm going to think it's very gross, aren't you? So there was a suspicion that their relationship was sexual in nature starting when she was only 17, and they have a 30-year age gap now before you say anything. <sighs> I'm not saying anything. Multiple authors have disputed this and it is believed that mary had a one-sided affection for him so instead of it being okay. like a pedophile grooming case it the case that people think it is it's more of her working with the, like one of the biggest stars at the time and having an absolute infatuation for any affection that he or any attention that he would ever show to her and I think that's very normal, like a young person looking up to and idolizing their mentor and having like that one sided dynamic, I think is fine. It's normal. Mm -hmm. But also the problem with it is that there are people, one, who can take who will take advantage of that. Yes. And two, this system that is in place at this time with these people. Yeah if he wanted to take advantage of that I, yeah. there would have been absolutely no one who would have stepped in at any point yeah. like the system um, is made that if he had wanted to be untoward toward her that would have almost been encouraged in the level of nobody caring yeah and when i say like one-sided love mary was intense I'm going to get into that. She was so, she's 19. So in interviews, Harry Fellows, 
the assistant director that we've been talking about, um, when asked if Mary was fond of, of William, he said, quote, she seemed to chase him around the studio and things like that. As far as I know, Mr. William thought, never thought an awful lot of Miss Minter. Um, I mean, more than just like to her, like for a nice girl. A friend of William. I mean, that's kind of sad if he's her mentor, but you know. I mean, I think the the intent of that was to be like, yeah, Mr. William didn't think of her a lot, as in like he was not in love with her, but like nothing more than like her being like a nice girl, and that's about yeah. it. That's like, yeah, there was definitely a, a context to that conversation. I yeah. want to and the believe. And I struggled through saying that the way that this the quote was written is kind of rough. I mean, like, that's the problem with quotes is that people talk weird. People be yeah, weird like, in the talking. It simply says, I mean more than just to like her for a nice girl. Okay, now, now that I'm saying it's fine. Now that we bring anyway. it down. Anyway. I want to believe William, d like, you abandon your wife and child. That's really not great. But as we've kind of been talking about, people are not black and white. There's people yeah. change. People grow. Yeah. I want to believe he's better than that at this stage in his life. He's but not I also do not know this with guy. many things. Yeah. Like, I think he definitely took some time to unpack a lot of his problems and, mm -hmm. like, tr genuinely tried to be a better person. I don't know him. So, exactly. you know, who's to say? I want to yeah. believe uh, it, he wouldn't uh, be grown. <laughs> Yeah, there's so many ways that this could be awful. But anyway. The bar is so friend, low. A friend of William, W.A. Robertson, said Mary had come to William's house on January 28th while this friend was present. Um, he said, quote, she would come to his house and kick up a fuss. He continued, she threatened to scream and was very obnoxious to him and all of these attentions. I think that kind of goes along with the like child actor life. Yeah. It's like a very weird way to grow up. And I think it sets up for adults who are not very well adjusted emotionally. So that's not a huge surprise, I would say. I do think this is also weird because when Mary was interviewed, she was very like forthright about talking a lot of things. Um, and I don't know if I've just gotten like dates and things wrong, but according to her, the last time that she saw William or talked to William was December 23rd and that she had come alone to his house because um, she had not seen him in a couple of months and she wanted to say goodbye. I don't know what the goodbye I mean, is referring to. I mean, to. it's possible she didn't remember that or maybe maybe there is a mix up in the dates. Maybe that January was like the year before or something. Maybe. It was just weird. But she told police that she truly loved him and claimed that he loved her. Okay, bestie. Um, maybe he's great, but maybe not a 50-year-old man. I'm just throwing it out there. During the two months prior to her death, she was also seeing and proposed to by a man named Marshall Nealon, a fellow actor who she rejected and just didn't take seriously um her police interview is wild <laughs> i'm just gonna say that um 
and it's very it's weird to follow um neilan knew about mary's affections for william and they had had a fight over these letters that she had written william and she didn't believe him or any of her other suitors had like tried to kill william out of jealousy but she had fought with her kind of boyfriend about it i'm just gonna say it does sound like Mary might be a little young and kind of obsessed with a first love almost. Yeah, I don't think any of her lovers would really have done that. I think no. anyone who knew of the situation knew there wasn't really anything to worry about when it came to this yeah. guy. Of course, who knows what kind of narrative she told them. That sounds more like they probably fought because she was still like not over him. Yeah. That would be my guess. So after William's death, copies of her letters to him were published in papers, and let's just say it completely shattered this innocent and modest image that she had. Um, these that letters does suck, talked though. about it does suck. Um, these letters talked about how much she loved him and wanted to kiss him. Some of them were like coded and needed to be deciphered. Um, one of them is literally just her going, I love you, 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 and then like X, 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 your beloved Mary. Oh my god. I mean, it's giving off creepy and stalkerish. If you, if she were like 12, I'm not saying it would be better, but I'm like, it would be kind of more expected behavior. Yeah. At 19, I would expect you not to do that. But also she feels a little bit emotionally stunted to me, which again, going back yeah. to that child actor thing is not a surprise. And I think also, but it's a choice. this is also a time, I mean, you also have to remember this is a time when women were very sheltered. True. That's true. From like absolutely anything to do with men and things that were happening. So. My goodness. Um. There was also rumors circulating that there was a pink nightgown found in William's home, and some people speculate that it may have been Mary's. What about this nightgown makes us think it was Mary's? Did it have an M on the tag? Because I'm going to tell you right now, there are a few different Ms. <laughs> so there was a rumor. So again, this is a rumor. I could not find, like, I don't have a police report actually showing what was at the scene, but there are rumors that there was We've this established that, and that the it scene had, was not was handled. Not um, there were rumors that this silk pink nightgown had MMM stitched into it. Okay. And but I'm also not going to say that she's above sending underwear to this man i feel like if she did that i wouldn't be shocked i do also question if if there was a nightgown that was found at the scene i feel like the mmm is embell embellishment but um mm -hmm. if there was a nightgown found at the scene it could have been any it could have been mabel's yeah and also, if like, had, if we're not believing her side of the story that they did not have that kind of relationship. Who monog like, who monograms their own underwear? Are you going to get your underwear mixed up with somebody's? Like, a 1M, maybe, for, like, you know, just the fanciness of it. 
I think you're right. I think the MMM is an embellishment, but I would not put one M past reality. Yeah. There also was um, rumors that a handkerchief that had MMM was on it. And let's be honest, she could have sent that. <laughs> like, here's she my handkerchief. Sent that. Think of me fondly. Another thought I have is like, maybe she left those things purposefully. Like, if she yeah. was jealous of other women in his life maybe she like hid a negligee somewhere in his house so that another woman would find it and like be like oh he's taken oh or maybe she left the handkerchief and so she'd have an excuse to come back to his house like there's a lot of reasons for those things even if they were hers to be in her in his house given their relationship so she made her career was in trouble after this like her image yeah. was destroyed. She made four more films under Paramount before they declined to renew her contract. And then she also just declined. There's other offers from like other producers, but she declined to accept those offers. It kind of sounded like, and we're going to get into this a little bit too, that she wasn't really comfortable being an actress. That um, she once does again goes back to the child actor thing like maybe that's yeah. just like not what she wanted out of life yeah and she did get married at some point and had a life outside of you know the glitz and glamour of hollywood but so you might be thinking with this information we talked about like how she like loved him some people are like oh maybe he you might be thinking people think that she may have killed him out of jealousy or because he was like refusing to have a different type of relationship than what they had. It's not actually Mary we want to look at here. Oh my God. We want to look Is at Is it her another mother. M name? <gasps> <gasps> it's another M. It's a mother. <laughs> it's, <laughs> there's so many M's. It's giving very dance moms. Oh my God. I, so. Her mother was Charlotte Shelby, and she was the classic stage mom or momager. Yes, those are, that's what I was thinking of. Yes. Um, she was described as manipulative and greedy. They pulled no punches with those descriptors, did they? Yeah. Again, Mary at one point had said that she was never comfortable being an actress, so I really can't help but think that she was forced into it at a young age in order to make money. Charlotte had gone to great lengths for Mary's career, including changing Mary's name from Juliet and having her use her deceased cousin's identity to make her look older on paper. Okay. The cousin thing is a lot. The Juliet thing goes back to that photo a little bit. How we were saying it looks a little Romeo and Juliet on the balcony kind of thing. I would have thought Juliet would have been a great actress name, but apparently not. I think it was more because she wanted the age. Oh, fair. Plus, uh, the alliteration older. still works. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a great name. Mm. Props to the family of the cousin who named her that. Props to the cousin who died. <laughs> Yeah, so they wanted her to look older on paper so she could take on more roles. Right. There was a point It's not that like they child fought. age labor laws exist for a reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a point in time where they thought 
fought over some like legal disputes and lawsuits, but they reconciled. Um, so Charlotte not only put Mary into acting, she also brought her other daughter, Margaret Shelby, into the industry. Another M. Another M. <laughs> and they're all different M's. They are. That's the best part about it. <laughs> Margaret in 1937 would sue her mom for stealing almost the equivalent of a million dollars from her safety deposit box. And she won this and was awarded like $40,000 in today's cash. All this to say, I don't think Charlotte was like a stand-up citizen or the greatest person. No, she definitely it definitely sounds like she pushed her kids into this because she knew it would make a lot of money and she wanted that lifestyle yeah yeah charlotte is the most suspected person in this case the idea is that charlotte wanted to end mary's relationship with william and some rumors even said that she believed william had taken her daughter's virginity and wanted revenge and to be honest, like, if I thought my daughter was seeing a man that was 50 when she was 19, well, 49, but still, 30-year age difference, I'd be concerned. That assumes that Charlotte was, like, a good mom. Oh, that does but assume that. And it's the virginity thing, thing, like, yeah, but uh, it kind of is, like, for the time, like, to be uh, it's a horrible thing to say but a ruined woman like that would have ruined a reputation to be a young unmarried woman who's now i hate it but ruined goods because that's how people thought back then and you're right her image was very much of innocence and purity and that just would have been shot i mean that's kind of what exactly. happened anyway because there's no privacy in a murder trial but or a murder investigation but Exactly. And that's more of what I think than the case of her being a concerned mother. It sounds more like her being a concerned manager. Mm -hmm. So Charlotte's statements to the police were filled with her denying knowing anything was going on between her and William and denying that Mary had any affection for him. Don't Most believe she's lying here. Don't deny things that everybody knows. Say you don't Especially you don't know if they had a relationship. It from the rooftops. <laughs> right? Like sure, deny that you knew if they had a relationship or not, but don't deny that your daughter was obsessed with him because everybody knows that she was. That just makes the other lie seem less true. <laughs> That's lying 101 I, right there. Tell believable lies. I also want to guess that if Charlotte did commit this and the letters, the blessed baby letters were gone, I wonder if she may have thought that blessed baby referred to her daughter. I think that would be a fair assessment. Those letters. Yeah. So it was discovered that during the investigations, it was discovered that she allegedly owned a .38 caliber pistol, a rare gun, and some unusual bullets that were similar to the ones used to kill William. Which 
she, she again, this is all allegedly, she threw Ben into the Louisiana Bayou after that information became public. I think we've solved it. I think we got also, it. This is, here's the weird thing. It's it said that it, that someone, I guess someone just said that this that she had this pistol and that it had these unusual um bullets and then that got published and she had then had enough time to throw the gun away. Yeah, what about the bullets was so unusual that they were like she thought they would be <laughs> damning. I we'll have never no know. Idea. I think Are we the sure she had a gun? Enough. Are we even sure she had the gun though at this point? Like I think she had a gun. I think a lot of people had a gun at this point, but it's true, I don't know if she had that gun. Um Charlotte was never tried for the murder. Um there are two known and there might be many other district attorneys in LA who just refused to prosecute her and another almost 20 years after the death that said there was insufficient evidence to try her. Um, Kirkpatrick, again, referring to one of those authors from one of the books, um, suggests that Charlotte may have paid these three district attorneys off. That's possible. I also don't necessarily disagree with that assessment, though. There's some circumstantial evidence for sure, Mm -hmm. but there's no witnesses placing her at the scene. The murder weapon is gone or non-existent. There's I don't know if she had an alibi or not, but there's really not much there, which kind of, again, goes back to my frustration with these cases. I'm like, there's no forensic evidence tying her to the scene. I know, I know. Um, It also doesn't help, though, that there was a theory going around that Charlotte may have killed her other daughter's ex-husband, director Emmett J. Flynn. Oh, oh my Margaret god. Margaret had married him in 1937 and their marriage was swiftly annulled due to her mother's protests. Um Margaret after this was then committed to an asylum. <gasps> was this before or after she sued her mom for stealing her money? So this is 1937. I think that's the same year. Oh, okay. So Margaret tried to be an independent person from her mom, and then her mom got her committed to an insane asylum in 1930s United States for it. And we all know how wonderful insane asylums were in United States 1930s. So there's another kind of odd thing. Um, Charlotte in 1942 was advised by her lawyer to write a fictionalized autobiography in order to avoid libel suits. Um, The novel was entitled Twisted by Knaves and was ghostwritten by John Galishaw. Um, It wasn't published until after her death in 1957. I have no idea what was going on with that situation. Her lawyer advised her to write a book that was an artificial biography that was fictional. That what does it say? Just I didn't I didn't murder this guy. That's weird. That's weird. Weird. And that's kind of what we have for Charlotte. But before I ask you who you think did it, there is a kind of final detail that I want to discuss. 
which is William's homosexuality. Oh, dear. According to a book by Kirkpatrick, Witten and Long, William had a homosexual tendency specifically pointing to confidential services a monsieur would provide to 1920s film stars. There is also a couple of clippings that suggest William, quote, led a opium-smoking homosexuals club, or led a cult of, I should say, opium-smoking homosexuals, and was murdered for breaking his oath to that cult. So there's a lot of people who believe that he may have been killed by Paramount to kind of cover up his homosexuality and kind of save the studio from major scandal that that information would have created, especially because William was so closely associated to the studio and was such a big person at that time. Again, we can't really say posthumously if a person was gay or bi or what their sexuality was. Um, so this theory is very hard to support. And I don't love the idea of a cult of opium-smoking homosexuals. That sounds weird. It does. And it also sounds like you could maybe point to, oh, he was he was gay and that's why he ultimately left his family. Like that wasn't, you know, him being gay and being yeah. in a heterosexual relationship. You could maybe point to that. There's also a million other reasons someone would leave their family. Was he gay? Like you said, hard to say. But what's unbelievable to me is that he would be involved with like opium smoking, a group of people who smoked opium a lot. He seems to be very outspoken against drugs. So I just don't really see that fitting yeah. in with what we know about him. And that phrasing just feels very, yeah, like demonizing of the other, of people who are not the straight christian white you know definitely i am gonna say that theory is bullshit not because i don't think he was gay i think maybe i i really can't say but i don't see him being involved with the people who smoked a lot of opium that just doesn't fit in with what we know about him otherwise also the to my dearest locket like who would have known he would have had that like that's like a level of performance for who i mean he could have been by like i don't know i don't yeah there's a lot of that. things that could have happened he could have been by or that that monsieur could have been a thing but like i don't know Maybe is that the only gay close... theory that's the only gay theory the that only all... theory so... they have People just throw out there that he was homosexual and that it was being covered up, and that's about it. I mean, maybe, and sure, the only like, thing if he that were gay. Suggest that it's this monsieur and then, like, this cult. I could not find any other evidence that pointed to why he may have been homosexual. I don't know. I don't see it. Not that I don't... He could be gay. Who knows? But, like, the cult makes no sense to me based on what we know about him as a person paramount killing him makes a little bit more sense but like we also know that there's all these other clandestine things happening yeah. in these acting circles being gay obviously is a little bit more taboo at for the time than 
being on drugs or having affairs. We know that just from the weird narrative around the sex, the homosexual sex cult with the opium, like there's this demonizing aspect to it. But I don't see that like that is so much work to do to kill somebody because you don't want their secret getting out. And that's like the messiest way to do it. Just shoot him in the back in his home and then Mm -hmm. rush in in the morning after to destroy all papers. Like that doesn't make sense to me. But I do have to say, just thinking about it, what came out of this was scandals of his loves with women. That's true. That was at the forefront of like every newspaper. Um, so if their goal was to cover up homosexuality, they hella did that. He looked like he was entertaining women and that women were falling at his feet. It, It's very odd. It could be that. I definitely believe him and Mabel had a thing for sure. <laughs> I don't think they were really good at hiding that. Uh, I mean, you can be obsessed with a gay man like as a young woman. That's... That can be a thing. Oh, so what was another who one? Do you think did it? I think Margaret is a no. I think Mabel yeah. is also a no. I think Mary seems obsessive enough that maybe, but I think if it were that grouping of people, her mother is way more likely. Mm hmm. I don't buy the homosexual thing. I don't buy the the gay opium drug using cult at all. Mm-hmm. Maybe Paramount. There's also like many other reasons that Paramount could have wanted to kill him, but then also they could have just terminated his contract. Yeah. I don't know. I think either Charlotte or the Paramount themselves. I think those are the two for me. Yeah, and I think the contract killer for like trying to take down like the cocaine is interesting. Um, yeah, that's also possible. I don't that's know if true. I believe that. It's interesting though. And the, the person got away with it. They were a contract killer, so they were good at what they did. I'm very good at being a contract killer. I could see that I, being a possibility, but I would mm-hmm. be shocked if it hadn't like come out at that at this yeah. point. Like. That seems That's the kind true. of thing that after the statute of limitations was up, somebody might admit to or somebody's father said, told them on their deathbed that they did it kind of thing. Yeah, I definitely don't think it was uh, Margaret Gibby Gibson. No. Like a, a, a random deathbed confession, like right before she died. That doesn't, I don't know. There's no. just nothing connecting her. I think maybe she said something to some, like, if you go with the Paramount theory, maybe she said something to one of her managers about him and she thinks that got him killed. Or maybe she said something to to Charlotte. I don't know how well these people knew one another. I feel like she feels guilt for the murder. Mm -hmm. But I think it's more of like a, I did something that indirectly led to him being killed in my mind versus her true. actually killing him herself. That's true. It's It really is. Charlotte's the only person that there's, like, even though it's, it's all circumstantial, none of it's confirmed. Everything is speculation. She's the only person that it could possibly see making something happen with this 
unless yeah. it was a cover up by a studio because we do there was like the evidence disappearing immediately which makes me think that the studio was somehow involved someone with yeah. power at the very was least, somehow involved at the very least he had info that they didn't want to get come out as the result of a murder yeah. investigation but that doesn't necessarily mean they killed him as no. a result of that info like that was information that led to them killing him it could have just been like oh since he's dead we gotta like clean up you know so we don't get black put on blast it's the whole she may have also killed her daughter her other daughter's <laughs> husband thing yeah yeah is really um it's pushing me in a certain direction here but the gun yeah, thing definitely. It's hard to say if the whole gun narrative is fact or fiction for me, mm -hmm. because somebody says she has this gun that matches the type. Somebody says she has special bullets, won't say how they're special, but something unique about them that would tie her to the murder. And then, oh, but she got rid of it in the bayou. Maybe she did have this gun and maybe she did get rid of it in the bayou, but also who saw this gun? And who saw her dump it in the bayou? Yeah, it's so, it feels very, it feels like a fabricated storyline. Mm -hmm. It feels like something that's so sensational that it yeah. was created to be so. But there, it's just kind of sketchy. I don't know. She could have just been like a ruthless stage bomb and that's it. And she wasn't a part of this, but. True. I don't know. There could also have been just like a random fan who shot him like that's not I mean, super that's likely but like we've seen that happen it's in happened. cases since yeah. it this is just like early hollywood but that doesn't really preclude that from happening they didn't really have that's the true. same level of security actors have today because like now we know that people might kill actors yeah i definitely don't so think it was just mabel, some rando. yeah i definitely don't think it was mabel i definitely don't think it was margaret i don't think it was mary out of the list, it definitely wasn't Edward because he didn't take anything. So out of that list, no. I really only think Charlotte or I Paramount. I don't want to – yeah, I don't want to exclude Paramount from there. I, But I can't really narrow down a specific reason why they would do that. It's yeah. just that I don't put it past them. <laughs> exactly. But that's all we really have for you guys today. Let us know your theories. There's a lot of theories and – random evidence and speculation for this case so i well, this is not exhaustive i do not have every single detail that has come out about this case so if you find anything that's super interesting or that really leans you towards who you think did it let us know that's all we have for today i do imagine that our table today was like a little bit of like those like old black and white films where there's like a cigarette tray with like a smoke trail from a cigarette. I was, I was just imagining, you know, like in those classic Hollywood uh, cigarette sticks that ladies would have so they wouldn't get tobacco yes. on their fingers and make the gloves. Oh, the gloves. Just, oh, we're so fancy. <laughs> I, I am, love those like ridiculously long gloves that were like 1920s chic. Yes. Oh, and a boa and a boa. Anyway, that's all we have for you guys today. Thanks for stopping by. Please push in your chair and we'll see you guys for the next one. Bye. See you later.